Hello and welcome to the Neil and Robbie podcast. In this episode, we are delighted to be chatting to Kerry and Ruth, two good friends of mine who I've been coaching for about four years now. And recently they went on a really epic adventure bikepacking around the Pamir Highway in Tajikistan. And when I heard some of the stories when they got back, it sounded so amazing. I knew that we just had to get them on and have a chat with them. So without further ado, let me hand over to uh, the recording that we did uh, a few weeks back uh, where we find out more about uh, their adventures and their trip. So let's get on with it. Right, I am delighted to say and to welcome to the episode and to the podcast, we have Kerry and Ruth joining us live from Dubai. Uh, Kerry and Ruth have been long-time friends of mine in Dubai and uh, athletes that I've been coaching for far too long now. Um, and uh, the reason we've got them onto the show is because they've just been on something that's just been an amazing trip into Tajikistan and the Pabir Highway. And that's really what we want to get into today, like how they how they even thought about going to that. Um, so look, welcome welcome along, girls. Um, why don't you kick off, just give us a little bit of an introduction, who you are, how you got into cycling, um, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, yeah, so I was Neil's guinea pig way back, way back when. Um, I was introduced by Little Legs because I was doing the coast to coast and Neil needed people to train. And I rocked up on my flat pedals and camelback, all the rules that you're supposed to take into consideration, I did not. Um, so I was mocked relentlessly for that. And then, yeah, we did the coast to coast. And then after that, I decided that I want to do the coast to coast in the UK. So Neil, Laura and Ruth came for that. And then, what else did I do? Oh, I did Biking Man Taiwan. Um, unfortunately, didn't finish that. <laughs> and did Biking Man Peru, and unfortunately, didn't finish that. I, I, I think Biking Man Taiwan, in your defence, it was probably Renette's fault because she just kept talking to you and you forgot that there was a time limit. I think it was probably a little bit of both. Like, if you want to do that, don't do it with a friend, and especially not one that talks as much as us two do. We were supposed to get to a checkpoint at 12 and at 7am we were sat still laid in bed chatting about nonsense and then we went and had a coffee at the nearest 7-eleven. Yeah, you so, were only about like 20 minutes past, like too late for the checkpoint. We didn't even know, we didn't even know, we were, we were so caught up in friendship, in the love and friendship that we just <laughs> forgot and Ruth's like, um, checkpoint, hello, I was like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Wasn't this the, the edition of Biking Man that was actually the tougher Biking Man Taiwan? Because the first one I, I did, and Neil did as well, was actually a shorter course with less hills. Am I right in saying that? That's what I did as well, Robert. Kerry was there with you, Robbie. <sighs> I, I'm so bad at this. You know, like, honestly, like, um, hello, guys. I haven't, we're kind of like four minutes into the podcast, and I'm not sure anyone's realised that, that I, I'm, I've attended this one. But I'm here. Hello. I mean, it sounds like it would have been better if you hadn't have joined, Robbie. Oh, do, do you know what? Actually, I haven't actually mentioned this to you, even though me and Neil, uh, Ruth and Kerry kind of spoke before we went on this. I, I've actually been feeling a little bit poorly today and um, I actually took the morning off work, which is a bit crazy. But I was so excited about talking to the legendary two wheel travellers that I could not miss this podcast. So that's what brings me here today, kind of reminiscing on, on old times. 
and your amazing trip, which we can't wait to talk about, to a place that I can't pronounce. <laughs> Standard. Uh, don't worry, we're going to get you to try and pronounce it later, Robbie, for sure. I'm um, sure it's Tajurkistan, but I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love going to Tajurkistan. <laughs> You're on the right track. I feel like this could be a restaurant idea. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, so I, yeah, I met Kerry when someone, a friend of ours, a mutual friend, Little Legs, said, Oh, there's this girl who wants to do coast to coast, but I don't think she's been riding that long. And Kerry rocks up on this bike with trainers and flat pedals and a camel bag. Although, you know, to be fair, Kerry, I've now gone back to using a camel bag. You see, I had style back then. Everybody's bringing it back. You were, you were ahead of the curve, ahead of your time. I know. And I'll, uh, I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget that coast to coast trip in the UK where, you know, everybody says if you're going to do coast to coast in the UK, you do it west to east because that's a prevailing wind direction, except for about three days of the year, which happened to be the one day of the year where we turned up to do the coast to coast. And it was just a long, epic day. And there were definitely tears at the finish line. Oh, I was bawling. And I never cry. And I was bawling. It was, uh, I mean, we finished in North Shields, though, so what do you expect? And we finished after about, what, 16, 17 hours? Yeah, it was a very long day. It was a long day. It was definitely a long day. So, um, yeah, so you kind of came in, you did coast to coast, you got involved with a few long distance races, and and then kind of since then you seem to have kind of fallen in love with just like gravel riding and adventure riding. How did that come about? Um, I think when I was in Peru, I got so sick. I was really, really sick. And I can remember just being in this, what would you call it? Just a kind of a hotel or not really a guest house, but it was basically a concrete box with a broken door. And I was laid on a broken bed and I thought, I just don't want to do this without Ruth anymore. I'm, I'm done doing these adventures without my partner in crime. So... Now she comes with me, so... And also, I'm not very good at sticking to other people's rules. True. I don't, like... Yeah. You like to make your own rules. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know we've not got that far yet, but there was there was one point in our trip where there was, like, a town and a shop 100 metres back the road. And we kept going because we thought there was another one. I was like, let's just go back. And she's like, no, can't go backwards. It was downhill. It was, like, 100 metres. It was downhill. It was no, well... That sounds like Kerry. Definitely sounds like Kerry. Okay, cool. And and Ruth, because you've had you've had a very different journey to kind of where where you are today and where you went on the trip to Tajikistan. Tell us a bit about your background. Yeah, uh, very much so. Um, when I um, moved to Dubai six years ago, um, I did a little bit of cycling, not loads, but I got involved in the Urban Ultra Women's Cycling League um, at the time, um, which got me into racing, got me to know kind of introduced to more cyclists um, and it was through that that I got to know you actually because uh, Laura joined the team in our second year um, and it was after that that I started training with you for the coast to coast as well so I'd done a lot of local races I was never much good I was more of the donkey in the race team but I mean every every race team needs a donkey it was it was good though I met lots of people got lots of good experiences from it um, yeah so let's say the UAE coast to coast was my first real event of any distance and then the UK coast to coast I've never done an ultra race um, or anything like that but I think I like the idea of adventure stuff um, yeah I've done a bit of hiking and things like that in the past so I do like sort of being off the beaten track so I think just going discovering things and I think probably what got in my way a lot of the time was 
not knowing where to go um, and not having the ideas and that's where Kerry comes in so if she's got the ideas I'm happy to go along with them and we'll figure the rest out yeah all right, well, we'll come to that in a little bit because I'm fascinated by how that conversation went down. Um, I think you're kind of selling yourself a little bit short there. I would not I would never describe you as a donkey, Ruth. Yeah, so I, I was in Taiwan actually as well at the same time that all these guys did um, Biking Man because um, you, Kerry had signed up to um, Biking Man and you'd, you'd gone to see Neil one day, I don't know, for a bike fit or an FTP <clears> test <throat> or something like that and you'd come home and mentioned, you know that same week that, that we're going... There's this biking man KOM or no, this KOM challenge. So I looked it up and it was on the day after biking man finished, um, but during the week that we were all still going to be there. So I said to Neil's wife Laura, "All right, well, why don't we go with them and we can do this?" Because um, Laura is quite the mountain goat and she's into things like that as well. Um, yeah, and then I don't think Laura really had a choice in the matter. I said registration's open, get on it quick before it sells <laughs> out. Um, yeah, and that was that. So for the few days that Neil, Robbie, Laura, uh, Kerry and everyone else was racing, Laura and I were in Taipei. And then our race was on yeah, the day after, once you guys had all finished. So yeah, KOM was pretty pretty epic. I, yeah, epic's probably the right word. And for those of you who haven't heard of the Taiwan Com Challenge, I think it's like the longest single climb race in the world so you go from sea level and you climb three and a half thousand meters in 84 kilometers which is which is insane um and yeah it's like i mean i think you were what seven hours climbing seven hours going up nothing but going up for seven hours i was waiting for seven hours on top (laughs) yeah because the road was closed so she had to go up there at like five six a.m and just down at the top yeah so the end of my biking man taiwan coincided with the start of hers so me and Renette cycled to where she was starting so then I could be at the top for Laura and Ruth. Yeah. Oh, so it all worked out quite well. Cool. Right. So now let's get on to the question hand or the topic in hand, which is the, the trip to Tajikistan, which for anyone who doesn't know where Tajikistan is, it's it's one of the stands, obviously. Uh, borders Afghanistan on its eastern side and pakistan to the southern side maybe uh china somewhere in there um very remote very high uh very isolated um tell me how that conversation went when ruth's like going where should we go where should we go on holiday this year kerry well ruth was actually supposed to do that um tour de mont blanc yeah she was supposed to do that with laura but after covid happened it got put back for a year and then i don't even know what happened to it but i was like Ruth, listen, instead of going to France, do you find do you find want to come to Tajikistan instead? Yeah, and I went, all right, and then why she, not? No, you didn't. You started crying. <laughs> Shut okay, up. That's probably, that's probably more like what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I cry when I get stressed. She thought about the idea of going somewhere remote that she had no idea what what it would entail and... It was like jumping out off the deep end, wasn't it? Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> I think you'd had the idea in your head for for as long as we've known each other. You've you've had the idea in your head because you've you've visited Kyrgyzstan, um, what the first time like f- four years ago, two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, um, and you you had the idea in your head since then. And I remember back in the early days, you saying to me that you wanted to go and cycle the Pamir Highway, um, and that it would take about three weeks. And initially, I was like, oh. That's a shame I won't see you for three weeks. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of the way it went. But yeah, 
I think I was a bit more open to it by the time you mentioned it. By the time we'd re- looked at the route and everything and you realised that... Yeah, def- I think, yeah. Like, because you mentioned it about last... Uh, in summer last year. Yeah. So about a year before we actually travelled. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think, like, four years ago, wouldn't have even... Doing something like that wouldn't have even been on my well, radar. We were in together then, so... No. I, 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 like hats off to you like that is one thing that just scares the life out of me like and I shouldn't say that but like I'm sure a lot of people are sitting here thinking that when you start talking about Kyrgyzstan and the the one in question we're talking about which I can't pronounce today um um Tajurkistan I'm gonna go with (laughs) so when we talk about that stuff places like that scare me and I, I slowly started to come around to the idea of it and then I um read the article uh, about James Hayden. Do you remember what happened on the Silk Road Mountain race with the guy on horseback? And do you know what? That put me right back in my box, unfortunately. But um, it, it's one of these things that hats off. That that's that is like they're places that when you when you listen to the news and with everything kind of going on currently in in Afghanistan and stuff like that, you sit there thinking like, God, actually, like how safe are these places? But then you hear about people like yourselves having these awesome experiences in countries like that and it kind of fills you with you know thoughts of actually I'm going to do a little bit more digging into this but yeah credit to you they're places that kind of scare me a little bit but maybe what what kind of going to a country like that what what appeals to to you about it that strange question I think for me personally I like going to a lot of places that other people don't think about going just because like Norfolk in the UK (laughs) carry on anyway i think i like going to places that people don't necessarily go or people that i know wouldn't go because i don't want people's opinions on it and people can confuse advice with opinions and if somebody's been there before and said oh it's shit and there's no food and you're only allowed to eat noodles and you have to crap on the side of the road and all this kind of stuff, it, it puts these preconceived notions of what it's going to be like. So I'd rather just go with a clear head. So that's why I tend to pick places that not a lot of people think about going. But tell me, isn't did you eat noodles and crap on the side of a road? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. I had my first alfresco shit out there. It was great. <laughs> a bit too close to the tent, but never mind. <laughs> be all right. Be all right. Um... Like Robbie says, it's it's uh, for a lot of people it can feel like a daunting thing. Like Tajikistan is properly in the middle of nowhere, and I think you actually, I think you sent me some photos of your the the hotel you stayed in for the first couple of nights in in the country, and you were across the river from Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. So actually, all the stuff in Afghanistan had not really kicked off when we were there. No. So in Kharab, there's um, there were a few UN vehicles about, and our guy, uh, the guy at our hotel, said that there were some um, Afghani army that had come across. So they were coming to Tajikistan, and then Tajikistan were flying them back to Kabul. But we never re- that you see, there's army walking up and down um, the road. But yeah, you, can, you 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 kind of on one side of the river. And on the Panjir other up the other side is like just Afghani people just going about the business because it's, it's very remote. It's the side of a mountain, so there's just this little road all the way along the side of the mountain to these tiny little villages, and you see the women out hanging up their washing or washing their 
rugs and their mats from their house. The kids are out you know, playing. Yeah, like it's just fields. mirrored from the side that we were on. It's just a, a dirt road cut out of the side of a mountain and people just going about the business. Yes, yeah. But but I think to a lot of people, that's that's a scary prospect, isn't it? Oh, yeah, we just sat across the river from Afghanistan. That's the kind of thing that would have my mum, like, panicking and, like, calling me, going, have you sorted out your life insurance or something like that? Um, but it, I, th- I think a, a lot of people just d- don't know where to start. So they kind of think, oh, Tajikistan, I've heard it's nice, but I just I wouldn't even know where to begin planning something like that. So obviously you've managed to persuade Ruth that going to the middle of the stands is preferable to a nice beach in France. How do you then how do you then take the first step in taking it from an idea to we're getting on a plane and going? I think well for for me, because I have a lot of mental hurdles to get over before I'm prepared for something like that. So I think probably look at looking at people's blogs who've been there, looking at photos of people who've been there off their trip, looking at YouTube videos people have made of their trip. If I can visualise where I'm going, then I can get myself mentally in the frame of okay actually it's it's okay it's not that scary it's not completely that unknown and then we looked at the map a lot as well yeah we did a lot of map work anytime i was having a bit of a i can't do this it's too yeah. much it's anytime too many a meltdown was approached a meltdown was approaching the map came out and the spreadsheet <laughs> yeah. a spreadsheet of all, all the places along the route their like their altitude their distance from the last place sort of all that kind of thing i think taken out take it the more unknowns you can take out the more comfortable I felt with the whole situation yeah um, and I think that was that was probably the first phase in being able to visualize what the riding there would look like and what the country there would look like um, yeah yeah you then, see I'm not like that I'm just like oh we'll pack we'll pack the bikes and we'll go and just see what it's like when we get there I, yeah it was it I, I, and obviously I was quite uh i was involved in in some of your prep and seeing the way you you both tackled it was really interesting to see those contrasting approaches to things um but how did that lead because i know you then you were you, you you were really good at how you split up the preparation work talk talk a bit about that yeah so i think well obviously we did we did our, tr- our bike training with you and you were heavily involved in that um we did our own bike packing trips and then a lot of off-road because I'm not super confident, especially going downhill. So I did a lot of work doing that. Yeah. Um, and we, we kind of made the most of last winter in the UAE when the weather was cooler and did like long days out or overnight trips. Or um, I think we did a three night trip was our longest one. And that was just really successful. Everything ran smoothly. Um, and we had all our kit and it sort of we, we kind of learned things from it about packing our kit and things like that. Um, but yeah, I guess in terms of things that we each did where we sort of complemented each other. Um, I learned Russian. Yeah. I had a Russian teacher for twice a week for like three, oh, yeah. three months Probably maybe. Three months. I can't remember any of it. <laughs> Skolkostoyet, that's all I can remember, how much. <laughs> but you actually, you learned quite a lot and I think you learned a lot more than you realised you learned. So the the... They speak Russian, but they also speak in the mountains, sort of their own Pamiri. dialect, Pamiri. But there are a lot. There are lots of similarities. So Pamiri is a lot like um, Arabic. Yeah. 
Because it's Persian originally. Yeah. You, you, you actually, when they were speaking, you could understand. You picked up a lot of key words. And I, was you could make, understand I was totally the gist making it. it up as I was going along. I was just throwing a load of Russian words out and smiling a lot and, you know, waving the hands around. Just like a car salesman or something like but that. There was, I don't think there was anybody along the route that we encountered that we couldn't communicate what with. Did you do what did you do? What yeah, did you do? Yeah, so I that? learned a bit about bike mechanics. Um, because we're, we were obviously very remote out there and if something went wrong with our bike at any point we were hundreds if not more of kilometres from the nearest bike shop um, so yeah so with the help of Neil on Zoom many times um, I learnt sort of lots of different aspects of, uh, of bike mechanics I think it probably started with um, I managed to order my new bike without the dynamo fitted to it. I'd ordered a dynamo hub, but I forgot to actually check the box that said, please include the lights. So when the bike arrived, I went, oh, there's, there's no lights. So I had to order that afterwards. She had the dynamo hub, yeah. but, <laughs> but nothing to go Nothing with to it. connect it to And it. when I contacted um, Fairlight about it, they actually said, it's, you know, it's quite a big job. We would suggest maybe that you drop, you know, send the bike back to us and we'll do it for you. And I said, well, that's unfortunately not really practical because I'm in the UAE and they're in North London. So they sent me the instructions along with it and said, you know, well, feel free to have a go at it yourself. And I think we had a, probably about a four-hour Zoom call. We did have quite a long Zoom call, yeah. Yeah, but but I got it. I, I actually participated. I got the wire through one of the one of you the parts on the frame. You did indeed. I think you held a light at some point as well, didn't you? Yeah, I also cuddled quite a lot when yeah. she was having a mental breakdown. Yeah, you had a lot of key roles in it. So I think it probably started there, and then the the sense of satisfaction in being able to have done something like that myself. Um, the sense of satisfaction walking into a bike shop and telling people that you've done that. Absolutely. Um, and then there was a few other things that needed to get done that Neil coached me through as well. Like we both changed our cranks, your bottom bracket was changed, sort of learned how to break a chain, fit a chain, that kind of thing. A lot of the common things that could go wrong. Um, yeah, so that was my contribution to the preparation. was more than mine. They were both equally as important, and we couldn't have survived with, without either. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of bike problems, though, which was very lucky. Yeah. As opposed to the Russian problems. <laughs> yeah, we did, do you know what? We didn't really encounter any, encounter any problems on our trip at all. I think everything went pretty smoothly. Mm. Do you think that's changed the way you interact with bike shops in the UAE now? Definitely. I think, well, I think I'm a lot more confident going in there now. I, there's... You know, some of the bike shops here, I often, as a woman, felt intimidated going in there because uh, the majority of the staff are often male and they would tend to assume you knew nothing and mansplain to you. And I always knew sort of the, ba you know, very much, very little bits. I knew what some of the parts of the bike were called. Um, whereas when I went in most recently, um, I was able to, I think, speak a lot more confidently. She went in swinging a dick, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Did you go in there just proper bossing? Yeah, she out, did. Like, and then she yeah, messaged what? me. She's like, oh, look, I'm just, I went in there and he was asking me these questions and I said, no, this, this, this and this. Yeah. Yeah, the guy didn't even know the pitch thread of his through axles. She's even bossing it on some of the Facebook forums. I've, I've seen this. It's, it's just like Wiggle Arguments Forum or something. Uh, no, no, Fairlight. She's she's there, you know. She is. She does swing herself around in the Fairlight Forum. Oh, yes. But Ruth posted she has taken her Fairlight to the highest. So there, there was a question a few months ago on the Fairlight group. Somebody posted something to say they cycled to 4,000 metres. 
And they said, has anybody ever cycled higher on a fair light? So I was biding my time, knowing that Akpatil Pass was 4,655 metres. <laughs> and as soon as I got internet connection, after we'd been up to Akpatil, I posted that. And I've been uno- the unofficially king, king, crowned. Kingpin of Fairlight yeah. Facebook group. <laughs> Fairlight Climbers Club. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, look, you should be proud of that because it's that's high. I mean, Robbie and I have both been to high altitudes and I and know exactly how hard it is. Like Robbie has cried a lot at high altitude, and I think he wrote his mum a letter once because he thought he was going to die. I remember. The, I remember hearing about the letter in Peru. And he and he wasn't even as high as you girls were. So right. So let's let's you know Tajikistan. Talk us through the trip. What was what was your highlight? Please tell me there was a highlight. You're not allowed to say coming home, yeah? No, I wasn't. I know, because we got COVID. (laughs) So so when you first got there, what was kind of like, was it one of these thoughts? And I have to ask this. Every time, okay, I'm going to talk about uh, South America, Peru. Here we go. When, as soon as I landed on that plane and my bike was put together, I was like, what have I done? You know, was it one of those feelings or were you just like, okay, we're here? Let's just smash it. No, we were just excited, really excited to go and get it done. I think it helped that we stayed in a really nice hotel in Karag. And it was on the river. So it had like a balcony on the river and we could just sit there and it was very peaceful. And the guy was, our, the guy that owned it was really knowledgeable about the Pamias and everything. And I think that kind of helped a little bit. But I think we really did do a lot of research about the country and about the route and about like we were going to do 50k a day because we didn't want to get altitude sickness we'd gone through our kit and medication so we were i feel like we were really really well prepared for I it do. yeah I, d- I think <clears throat> yeah i didn't have any i think i was i was just excited and like eager to set off right I re- yeah we really wanted to get higher up because it was absolutely s- sweltering hot it's like yeah. dubai style heat in yeah. there yeah the first the first day that like the temperature hit 46 degrees when we were riding she didn't tell me though she told me at night and she's like i didn't want to because i was just miserable i was so hot and we're sat under this little bush trying to get some yeah. shade and as soon as you know it's 46 degrees it's kind of like it yeah you just are like no this is too much this is after you'd started riding from harok yeah yeah i would say i, I think that the probably the, the day that was the highlight for me was the one when we did the the first two passes yeah. Um, one was 4,200 something and one was 4,100 and just that day I think we were both really strong and yeah. we were both so proud of ourselves for having like got got up over those two passes it was a really long day it was so windy up there that we couldn't stop we couldn't stop to cook any food all we had was snacks oat bars oat, bars. oat king bars yeah oat king bars and sweets and biscuits um, which isn't ideal for 10 hours on the bike but you know you, you do what you got to do but we just both felt good that day yeah um, yeah and mentally it, as well not just physically but yeah. also mentally even how though we woke you... up with swollen lips that morning oh yeah how, how did you find when you were out there if you don't if you don't mind me asking how did you find people um, approached approached you when you were talking about what you were doing out there uh, we didn't really see well we didn't see that many tourists there because it, it's been closed off for so long so we were kind of on the first run of tourists going 
but the local people were really happy. Everybody was inviting us in for, for a drink of chai. If we'd have stopped at every place, we'd, we'd never get anywhere. Yeah. And um, any like we did see one woman from Germany, and she was so impressed that we'd cycled it because she'd driven it in a car. Um, so she was really impressed. But yeah, I think people people just enjoyed seeing two women doing it as well because a lot of it is like a man and a woman or or men doing it. So when two women are doing it, they're, they're all loving it, buzzing the tits off. Yeah, I think it wasn't a, a shock to see cyclists out there because there have been, like over the years, there have been cycling tours in the mountains. Um, but it's just been so long since they've seen us. The first, one of the first women that we saw, she came out. We just sat down to get a bit of shade. You know, she kissed her hands. She wanted to invite us into her house for tea. Um, you know, we declined because we just, we'd stopped not that long ago and we needed to keep moving. But she just, she was just so happy, like, to see us. And that and that's what everybody, they, they couldn't do enough for us. I think because a lot of the income as well, obviously, comes from cyclists along there and tourists. So I think they're happy to just to see tourists going along there again. Yeah. And they'll be staying at the guest houses and stuff. Yeah, they want to just know where we're from, where we started from, where we're going to. Um, but they've got nothing but good wishes for us and blessings along the way. Yeah. So when you were when you were on your travels, did you find yourself um, staying in the guest houses the majority of the time? Were you camping rough, or what was what was the plan originally, and how did it work out happening? We um, we took our tent with us and we planned to camp the entire way. We'd done a lot of camping, we had our kit, so that's what we wanted to do. Um, so I've got a, I've got a great story about our first night camping. We um, <laughs> we found. We 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 cycled about fifty uh, k, I think, because yeah. we were only doing about fifty k a day, um, so we didn't get altitude sickness or anything, and we were overstretching ourselves. So, the first day we stopped, we were looking for somewhere to sleep for a while because we were both a little bit paranoid about doing a, a wild camp because we've only ever camped in the UAE where it's super safe anyway. So we're in this foreign place. We're trying to find somewhere safe. And then we found a load of bushes that were next to the river. So we kind of found a spot that was hidden from the road. It was quite far away from the road. It was hidden and it had kind of two entrances into this little area. So we covered it with bushes thinking we'll make it look like, you know, nobody's been there. And then it started to get dark at this point. So I was putting some bushes up and I heard a car pull up and I saw the car and I was like, oh shit, Ruth, there's a car, there's a car. So we're both hiding, thinking, okay, we'll just be quiet and they'll leave. So we're waiting there a while and then we heard footsteps and we heard a woman's voice. So we stood there thinking, we'll, we'll just wait. And I'm thinking, should I say something so that she knows we're there or shall I be quiet? You don't know what to do. You don't know how these people are going to react. So we just waited there and she walked by us and then she went for a pee because obviously it's bush. And she bent down and she let rip. <laughs> so we both started laughing because we're really immature. <laughs> like, it kind of broke the tension in the air and we were both stifling laughers because we're laughing because we're both children. And then she walked off to where the guy was. So it's like a, a line of bushes were surrounding us. So she couldn't see us and we couldn't see her. And it was starting to get dark. So she went off back to this guy and then... A little bit of talking, every so often you'd hear a word. So we stood there and half an hour went by 
and uh, Ruth said, oh, I think we're going to have to leave. We're going to either wait here until they've, like, left, or we're going to have to leave, but then we're going to make noise, so we might disturb her. And then all of a sudden we heard them two having intimate relations next to us, <laughs> moaning <laughs> in the bushes next to us. Again, we were laughing because we were immature. Um, but we were both laughing. It was like, I mean, it didn't last long. Whatever, it, whatever was going on didn't last long. No. And then we waited another fifteen minutes, and there was he was obviously having a after intercourse set uh, cigarette. And then um, I was said to, well, we were deciding what we should do. Yeah, we either needed to leave, but that would have made noise, or pretended we just arrived and make noise that way yeah so i mean we were both we were both paranoid about the the outcome of what would happen so i I was because out of the two of us i'm a fight you either fight flight or fight i'm flight and you're a fight yeah so i was like okay i think i'm gonna have to whatever it is i'm gonna have to do something so i was pepping myself and thinking okay what i'm gonna do is I'm gonna get the torches and I'm gonna pretend I've just walked here and I'm gonna flash the torches around and act like, you know, different people have turned up. So as I went over, Rue said Rue said to me, Oh, um, but if it's a man and he and he thinks we've heard him have sex, he might be really angry at us. I was like, Are, are you kidding? Hell you just said that. I don't wanna fight a fella. So anyway, I walked off and eventually I just got I was tired and hungry. So and we hadn't put our tent up at this stage. No, there we was just the mat down. So I walked off and came back. I started talking in a load of accents, Scottish, Irish, anything I could think of, flashing all these torches around so people thought that there was a load of people there. And the left, the eventually left. So we were both like high-fiving each other, being like, yeah, we chased them away, we're so strong. You chased them away, I just kind of <laughs> flashed a torch around. <laughs> you participated. I did. Well, it was so funny. That was so funny, though. But after that, we were just so exhausted. Because at this stage, it was late. It had been dark for an hour. So we quickly just put the tent up. We didn't even cook dinner. We'd eaten something a bit earlier. We could have done with another meal. But we just got in the tent and fell asleep. So Yeah. Yeah. So our first wine night camping was um, interesting. But we stayed in such a nice spot. It was right at the side of the river. But we were on the outer corner of the river. So it wasn't, bi- it wasn't like, loud. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, when, when we woke up in the morning, the view in the morning was spectacular. Like the, the mountains were the backdrop. They're like, the sunrise was amazing. It was, Ruth was just, washing the crotch of the sharks in the river. Yeah. How high were you at this stage? Because this was like the first night, right? So, you know, you'd set off from Korog at, at what, like 800 metres above sea level? Korog is no. at about 2,200. So I think okay. we got up to maybe two, two, six. two six, yeah, about 2,600 metres. And I love the way earlier you just saying, oh, yeah, we just rode over these two mountain passes at like 4,100 metres, like it's nothing. And it's, it's. I know, it's, she really needs to stop being so humble because half, a, lot of the, a lot of the riding we did was at 4,000 metres. Yeah. It was for a long way. But I think that's why that was my highlight because we were up that high, but we both felt really strong. Yeah. Up that high. And I think that was the highlight. No, you should really, really sell it like it was us first, the mountain, the final battle. You need to really sell it as how high you were. <laughs> I know, that, we'll save that for Ak Patil because that was us versus the mountain. Oh, God. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get on to that because I, I, yeah. 
I've seen some of the photos and heard some of the stories of that one. Um, but I mean, like, how tough was the riding? Like, how, what kind of roads, you know, were you on just like dirt roads? Was any of it like proper mountain biking? Was it was it hard, not hard? Or was it just the altitude that made it hard? Um, I would say the, the road surface was, they, locals said, oh, you know, when you follow the M41, it's asphalt all the way. So at one time it was asphalt all the way. Um, but it's not it's not mountain biking territory. It's it, actually a pretty good road. It's pretty good road. It's asphalt in places with a lot of potholes. It's just because okay. trucks go on it. So there's a but the good thing is when you're on a bike, it's worse than a car. When you're on a bike, you can kind of pick a line around it, so you're not struggling. But it's only really over the passes where there's a lot more gravel and washboard, and yeah. it's a bit more difficult. Uh, to be fair, I think I don't think the cycling is actually that difficult because it's just you're going up constantly, but it's so gradual that yeah. you kind of don't really notice that much. Yeah, the only parts that are steep are like the last two or three k to the top of the passes. They're the only parts that are steep. Anything up to that is two, three, four percent max. Really. Yeah. I mean, did you feel like you're in the properly in the middle of nowhere? Like, was was it just devoid of people? Did you go like days without seeing anyone? When you're on the plateau, there is nothing, absolutely nothing at all. There's no people, there's there's marmots, and that's all there is. Yeah. The When we went from, that day we went from Alatur to Murgab, that was a hundred and something K, and that was all along the plateau, and there was absolutely nobody. Until we were just right outside Murgab, we saw that man with his horses, but that's it, there was just nothing. Nothing. Yeah, there's no trees, there's no, It's it really is in the middle of nowhere yeah and on the on the ride to McGab it started raining as well and it's it was creep it was creepy it was I tried showing Ruth this uh, rain cloud in the distance I mean she wasn't impressed it was just the mist just started moving in uh, like across the plateau from one side of the mountains to the other Uh. as we were just cycling along and yeah you just you're just in the middle of absolutely nowhere where you get that sense off as well you're not just miles from the nearest town back or the nearest town forward because it was a hundred k between them but from either of those places to get back to the Shambi, the capital like in a car would take two days yeah like that's how sort of remote you are at this point did you start to and did you ever like start to question what you were doing no not at all we really didn't no we were just looking. We were looking forward to say getting to Murgab, and we knew that there was a hotel there, um, that probably had running water. We were, we we were, were most looking forward to getting to Alicia. Like, over every hump towards Alicia, we're like, "Yes, it's Alicia." No, it's not. Oh, here's Alicia. No, it's not. Yeah, <laughs> and because the between, um, oh, I can't like the last the last little village, and Alicia then there's nothing else until Magab. So in 200k, probably, there's maybe yeah. Alicia, and that's it. That's it, yeah. So, and it was freezing, so we wanted to stay in a homestay when we got to Alicia. What was it like staying in a homestay? Yeah, so that was our first night we'd, in a homestay. We'd been in a tent for three nights previous, which we'd got on absolutely fine with. Um, like, we, we kind of had the camp and cracked in our routine with all that. But we were happy to be inside. We were cosy in the homestay. Um, it was at it was at nearly four thousand meters, so it's cold up there. Um, and these houses are, you know, they're built without electricity, without running water. 
Uh, you're staying in a family home essentially, which is like what two rooms, a kitchen, and one. They other had room. a really good fire though. But they put on a good fire. And she and had the, the she had cream and butter and lit the cow was outside and she'd go outside and milk the cow. Like the cream was so That's fresh. When we got to Alicia, she brought out the cream and the bread and all that, and Ruth just had it dripping off her hands and her <laughs> mouth. And the woman came in, I was like, this is okay, Ruth, you enjoying it there? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like freshly baked bread. Um, it was like, yeah, it, it was like, the cream was like clotted cream that you'd have in a scone with some jam, and it was just immense. Like after days of noodles and rice, it was just so nice <laughs> oh, to the have food. something so fresh. The food that we cooked was horrendous. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> purely because there just wasn't anything available or just because you two can't really cook there weren't really that much available but also just we, we took basics so we had lentils and bulgur and smash obviously because Ruth's Irish and can't oh, go anywhere thanks. without mashed potato and then we had um, we took some stock. vegetable stock yeah. to put on top of it but when we stopped at the second thing here, I thought I'd make us a really nice dinner, which was lentils, bulgur, um, vegetable stock, and peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like sludge. And it was really thick. It was awful. Probably highly calorific. <clears throat> it was... Um... We actually brought a lot more food than we needed and we didn't we didn't carry the rest of it with us. We gave some of it away. Chucked we chucked some, some of it, it away. Because there was... There was I think we'd probably packed enough to last us the entire way from start to finish if we weren't able to resupply anywhere, which was probably sensible in a lot of ways because we didn't really know what was out there. Um, but but to be fair, of... when we were on the plateau, we, we didn't really eat that much. We only ate snacks because it was so windy. We stopped to have a bag of crisps and we had to hide behind this concrete. Uh, it's kind of a monument for when you're getting onto the plateau. And we were nearly blew away then. Yeah. You just—it's just incredibly windy. Thankfully, it was a tailwind, but it's just ridiculous the windy. Yeah. Not just Ruth, as well. Yeah. Right now, talk about the talk about the the what was the high mountain pass again? Akpatil. Talk to me about Akpatil. It's only—it's not even three k it long, but the actual climb itself—I don't know why—but I thought it was like kilometers and kilometers, but it's just. The, the ride up from Magab because you're going from from 3,900 meters to 4,650 so it's only less than a 3k climb but it took us about six hours it did like the yeah the climb up to the top of where Akpatil officially starts that in itself takes hours because that's about well it's a nice actually a nice climb yeah it's really nice because it's only like two three percent the entire way yeah so that's about well yeah, 3%, about 80k, and then you get to the sign that says Akpatil. There's a house at the bottom, and as we pulled up, a guy came out of the house with his three kids and his two dogs to, like, come and greet us, I don't know, and invite us in for chai, obviously. Yeah, and almost shepherd us up the mountain. So at that point, so they were right at the bottom of where the actual Akpatil uh, climb started, which is crazy, because they're 80k from the nearest town, um, and there was nothing else in between there and and Cow, yeah just a lot of cows what did he do he just came out and sort of spoke to us invited us in they walked with us for a bit because we obviously stopped and chatted to them and then uh walk, just walked alongside them for a bit and then uh, when they got back up in in line with their house they just waved us off and yeah watched us and made sure we were okay what do they do living up there how do you live up there 
They're all they're all very self sufficient though. These the people that live there, and it's probably a shepherd, I think, because there was a lot of cows. Like before we'd got to the actual pass, a bit mm. further down, there was like masses of cows there. Yeah, and goats. Farming people farm for their own needs, really. Um, yeah, they've got they've got the animals to get the milk from, um, and then they'll they'll grow whatever they can, which isn't much at four thousand meters, um, but. There's, there's not a lot of shops around. They can't, you know, they can't order Tesco. But yeah, the pass itself is between six and nine percent gravel. It's just you're not you're not cycling up it. As soon as we got to the bottom, we got off and started pushing because it's. Just, I don't even know if it's six. I think it might be a bit more than six. I think it is. Yeah, it's it's, it's, quite, it's quite steep. So we knew we were in for a long slog. The thing is, I, I, you can kind of see the top of it as well because it's not that far away. But yeah, we're just definitely in for a long slog. I mean, we're both very lucky because altitude doesn't really affect either of us. So apart from the usual headaches and... Oh, and going very slowly. Well, yeah, but, but I mean, that's not... That's just because there's no air. Yeah, exactly. And Ruth lost a lip balm, which I never heard the end of. I did. It was it was essential out there. We woke up for days in a row with these swollen lips from the sun and from the wind and everything. And then I lost my Vaseline near the top of Vacretier. So, so who got the calm out of the climb? You did. You got there before me. Wait, so we were we were about, I don't know, 500 metres from the top and I had music playing and Elton John came on. We're still standing and I was like, come on, Ruth, well, let's do this. Let's go. Let's start marching. About six songs later, we still weren't at the top. <laughs> it was like the perfectly timed song, the perfect motivation, and we're like, right, we're doing it. But it's like um, you like a few steps because we had fully loaded bikes. I mean, I've got a fully loaded body, so as well as a fully loaded bike, that's kind of heavy weight you're going on there. Yeah, it was. So it was a few steps and a few breathers, and then it was funny. Though. And then I got, think it was funny. I do. Like, it was just one of those things. We just had to keep going up and over, and it, we could see it. It was getting ever so slightly closer, but we... Hours you later... You say it, it was funny. I, it, was it funny at the time, fun at the time, or that's just fun on reflection back? It's just funny because I was taking the piss out of Ruth a lot of the time. So that's fun to me. Probably not to her. But that's just standard life. <laughs> that doesn't need to be on the top of Akbatia. <laughs> I was filming a video and I nearly, I nearly dropped my bike and I was like, Ruth, Ruth, oh my God, Ruth, my bike. And I was like, oh, it's okay. I was like 10 metres up ahead and I had to come back despite the night we're never going backwards, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, so it's all right to come back if it's to help you pick a bike up. Yeah, of course. I mean, come on, there has to be rules in this no rule. But it was, it was strange when we got to the top because as we got to the top, there's no sign or anything up the top. It's just it's just a, a regular old road. Yeah. But as we got up to the top, we spotted this guy coming the other way, walking yeah. with, with a pickaxe. And we were like... There's what? nothing, like... And the, at the other side, there's nothing for 80k. So we were like, how are we going to run away from this guy if he tries to attack us? Because, I mean, neither of us are running up the hill. No, it was just... Crazy axe murderer. Thing. Like, you... I you were miles and miles and miles from your 80k from a town either side and he just appears just 
casually strolling over the top of this 4,600 meter <laughs> hill that we've spent three hours doing the last 3k off to get to the top and he just strolls over with a pickaxe over his shoulder. I would question if he had gold or diamonds so he was probably more worried about you guys when he's probably got a giant diamond in his pocket or loads of gold so I would have I would have gone for him there was probably gold in, in his pocket I'm sure. <laughs> and here's these here's these scary western girls who are going to come and do me over. Well, we did talk about how scared I was about doing this podcast uh, earlier in our group chat for this, didn't we? <laughs> I haven't even got all to the juicy stuff yet either. Ruth's um, been talking a lot, that's why. Do you know what? I love the way you, you've kind of... I, you're talking about these things as if it's the most normal thing in the world to be pushing your bike up a 4,600 metre pass whilst contemplating how to run away from a crazy axe murderer who's walked 80 kilometers from the nearest town and your only help is a shepherd down the road who will probably doesn't even speak russian but makes very good cream yeah (laughs) Yeah, when you put it like that i guess but when you're in the moment you don't you don't think of it like that you just think of what's what's right ahead of you and what was right ahead of us is getting to the top of the hill we'd fallen very we'd fallen into the whole kind of dirtbagging routine very well as well just well us together working as a team I think we just found what our roles were and um we're scruffy bastards so the fact that you don't have a shower for five or six days it didn't bother us no we washed obviously we always camp near a river and there's loads there's loads of water in Tajikistan yeah there's rivers everywhere and streams and things like that but we didn't actually stand under any running water for six days no that's the other thing as well actually Tajikistan um after a certain point they don't sell any bottled water at all um you can get maybe a bottle of peach tea or a coke but you cannot get any water but the water is everywhere i think that's why i I don't know why but that's what made the route so easy as well because water was just so readily available yeah so did you take a like a water purifier or a filter or anything like that or did you not bother no we had um those little tablets that you put in the water um so most of the time we used those um and then there was what there were a couple of occasions no once once i think when we used our we we had a soya squeeze water filter but you can you can literally see the water coming off the mountains it's really fresh so luckily neither of us had any stomach issues yeah because again i think that's one of the the things that would put people off or the fears that people would have would be well i'm going to be in the middle of nowhere how am i going to get food and water but it sounds like it wasn't an issue at all no, no, it really wasn't. Food was probably more sca- scarce. Yeah, I think the villages you came to had a shop. Um, the you just shop had was, to knock the owner off. Yeah, the shop was usually closed because they're not that busy that they need to be open all the time. But if you sort of stood in front of the what you thought was the shop for a few minutes, somebody in the village would spot you and go and knock on the right door and somebody would come and let you in and sell you whatever you needed. Um, I mean, th- there wasn't a... You know, wasn't it like a supermarket with loads of selection? There would usually was some biscuits, some crisps, and noodles. then there were quite a lot of noodles. Yes, yeah, noodles. We ate a lot price. of noodles and egg. Yeah. So there wasn't a twenty-four hour McDonald's or no Haribo supplies. No. no. There was oh, no pizzas, but but there was enough. Yeah. There was enough basics, but yeah, water. I think. I think we, we got water from a river. Did we get some on our first day? Maybe day two. Um, and I think once you've done it the first time and you're like, actually, well, actually, it's okay. Yeah. And the when higher you s- up you get. Yeah, the clearer it is. There's, there's, it's just 
clear, freezing cold water. It sounds incredible, and we'll, we'll put some. Hopefully, we can get some of the photos off you, and we'll share them into the uh, into the podcast feed so that everybody can see some of the the photos of it. It just because it just. It, I mean, it sounds incredible and I know having seen some of the photos it looked absolutely incredible but like I say it's just the way you're kind of normalizing these things it's that that's fascinating uh, but what was the right so we talked a lot about the highlights and the the hard climb up to, up to the passes what was the what was the worst bit I, I I don't know if would you reckon it was going into like into like Caracol yeah. it was definitely coming off at Akbatil it's um it's nice gravel it's a little bit steep so when i walked down some of it ruth disappeared and left me and then the kind of nice gravel finishes and it turns into the most horrendous washboard i have ever cycled on and even being in dubai and the uae where a lot of the gravel roads we ride on have got washboard there's no line to track so it was just 30k of miserable washboard and when you've been up at 4,600 metres, we both had a bit of a headache. Yeah. So we were like, we knew that at some point there was tarmac because we'd, we'd met somebody in Magab that had just driven there and she said that there was tarmac. So we knew it was at some point, but oh, it, was it was a long time coming. And even though most of it was downhill slightly, like one or 2%, it was just, it was just it was relentless and we just got rattled and rattled and rattled and rattled i was looking on because we had um guru maps so i was looking to see if there was a guest house for us to stop at and i was just like i cannot continue so we stopped at this house and a guy came out and i was asking him if we could sleep anywhere and he said no i was like ruth where where's the tarmac and then literally 100 meters up the road the tarmac started so we're both happy but then we were going a little bit downhill and then we started going uphill again and then it started getting windy. It was really, really windy. So we kind of didn't speak to each other for about eight hours. Yeah, I think that was definitely the, the toughest day. Like we checked on each other, but it was more... Through, Are you okay? Through, yeah, yeah. You okay? okay. And that's if we spoke at all and otherwise it was just a look or a nod. It wasn't because we were like, it wasn't because we were upset with each other. Like. I'm in the middle of nowhere. Ruth's the only person around. I'm not going to get angry at her and I'm not going to get upset with her because if anything happens, I have nobody else there. But it was that kind of, we're so concentrated on trying to push through and get to Lake Caracal, you can't think about anything else. We couldn't think about, you know, drafting off one another and that might help the wind. It was just head down, focus on getting to the end and that's it. It was... Yeah, there, there was. It was really tough. There was no mental energy to have any sort of conversations. Like we could barely take in our surroundings because it was just a case of, like, turning the pedals. And yeah. Everything, physical and mental energy, all just went into that. And it's, it's when you're coming into Lake Caracol, you're going up again, and then you're going around some hills. It's not. It's not just coming off the pass. We were like, oh, you come off the pass, and it's just downhill all the way, and it's not. No, you could see you could see the town, um, and then you started to. Um, that was when after you were about fifty k. Yeah, that was when we were nearly there. You could see it for like 30, 20k or so. Yeah. You get up to the top of a little bump, and you could see it, and you're like, "Yes, brilliant!" And then you'd start uh, descending, and you, oh, I can't see it anymore. It must be just over this bump, and we must have said that like twelve or fifteen <laughs> yeah. times. It's the longest twenty k I have ever ridden. Longest twenty yeah. k. And all we want at the end of that is this beautiful hotel with like 
pasta and pizza and a hot shower and a nice bed what was it like when you actually got there there's definitely no hot showers and there's definitely no pizza there is a bed though it's just it's just a standard guest house the thing is we just wanted to be inside and to be in a bed and to be somewhere warm we weren't really bothered because we already knew that it weren't going to be there's no fancy hotels out there so we know we weren't going to be like that but we knew that we'd get a really good meal and we'd have a bed and it'd be warm yeah and i think when you're out there actually the simple those are the luxuries yeah exactly you don't you don't care that it's not got a spa or you know that there's not an outside toilet yeah (laughs) you're just you're just happy to be indoors and for somebody to give you food like that is that is the most luxurious thing in the whole world at that point. Yeah, having a bed is definitely one of the most luxurious things. Yeah. No, you know what the most luxurious thing is? Being inside. Yeah. After the, the first few days when we were, like, you're constantly outside. And then we got to Alicia, we're like, oh, we're inside. Like, this is what it feels like to be inside again. Yeah. So, it's nice, though. It's nice to be like that, back to those sort of basics. And you forget about everything else. You just happy with the minimal stuff yeah was it a bit of a shock to the system then when you did get back to civilization and you were surrounded by people did you struggle to adjust well we were i was in, a bit sad we were indoors for 10 days because we had covered so yeah, true. <laughs> i don't know i was a bit sad to finish i think yeah i think what when we finished we were originally supposed to do the Bartang valley but we got to lake caracol and we decided that we wouldn't do it because we'd had such an intense first seven days like we got to lake caracol two days ahead of when we originally decided to do it so we thought that we'd kind of do a flip-flop and go back to Harag and then cycle back up the pamir highway but i feel like i felt kind of sad leaving and just sad just sad leaving being in the middle of nowhere yeah we, we did say, like, there was quite a few times on the route that we said, it, like, living here is such a simple life um, to live there. We couldn't you do know, it out there. there. No, we couldn't do it. Because it's, a, it's a simple life, but it's not an easy life because they have to work for absolutely everything that they need. So you, you can't get anything delivered. I mean, if you want furniture, you probably have to make it yourself because there's no Ikea out there. Nobody delivers stuff. There's no Ikea. It's, no, there's no Ikea. There's definitely not an Ikea. And what would Kerry do without TikTok to keep her occupied for most of the day? <laughs> it's so funny because we when we were in Alicia, the woman, when we stayed in the guest house, she said there was um, a hot shower. So oh, we're yeah. like, oh, thank God. A hot shower, that is brilliant. And she's like, the hot shower, yeah. It's just down the street over there. And it was a communal shower that everybody in the village would go to. And I was like, I'm, it's freezing, so there's no way I'm gonna go and get in a communal shower because I bet it's Baltic inside. So we were sat, um, she brought us a massive um, tin bath <laughs> and put it in front of the fire like it were 1980s kids or something. It was yeah. really funny and filled it with hot water. So we're like kids having a bath in front of this fire. In the middle of their lounge or the middle of their Yeah, kind exactly, of area. <laughs> the middle of their bedroom, what it seemed to be. Yeah. But we were delighted with it. We were inside. We had four walls around us and, and a we fire. Were, we were inside. And a, and a hot bath, albeit a small tin one with everybody watching. Yeah. yeah. Um. Would you go back? No. And the only reason I wouldn't go back is because we had such a good experience 
I don't want to ruin the experience we've had because you don't know if you're going to go back and it'll be crap and then what all I'm going to think about is oh what a crap experience I've just had so we had a perfect experience yeah. in my opinion so I'm, yeah I'm, I'm satisfied with our trip yeah, I am. I would highly recommend it, mm. but I'm satisfied that we've done it and we've had our perfect experience. And I will and say this, that. it's not as difficult as you think. It's really not as difficult as you think. If we can do it, then anybody can do it. It's it's quite it's not like you it's not like Kyrgyzstan where you're constantly going up and down and there's all these microclimates and the hills. It's just you just climbing for a week and it's gentle climbing and as long as you don't mean mind being outside and camping and you're fine with altitude, then I think that's uh, it's quite very, an easy bikepacking trip. It's very doable. Like I'd Is never, no, like I'd never done, uh, apart from a couple of bikepacking trips that we'd done, I think I always equated doing something like this to what I see in ultra racing and people riding for 16 hours a day and sleeping for three hours you know at a time on the side of the road and that's what that's what put me off initially I think until we talked about it more um, and explored it more and actually it, it's it's not like that there were some really long days and I think because we'd made it in less time we'd made it two days early and we'd also had a rest day so we'd done it in three days less than we planned to do so it had been intense and we were tired but we just decided that when we were out there we felt good so we went for it and I tell you what, the way that we did it, we had a, a we did uh, from Alicia to Magab was about one hundred and five k, but it's a tailwind all the way. Yeah. And a tailwind is a tailwind. It's not like a little a little gust of wind. It's like you you're out the peddling. <laughs> yeah, and but you you only really notice the tailwind when you stopped. Yeah. Because you're going along. It's when we stopped to have something to eat, and we could barely stand up straight. <laughs> so. Well, oh, when you stop and have a pee, and your pee is going horizontal. Yeah. But, but the, the, the riding that we did, it wasn't technical um, at all. I think if you were to come back through the Bartang Valley, it would be a bit more technical. It's, yeah. That's all off-road. Yeah. Um, but, it, I mean, it really wasn't. And it is... I think when you've, when you've done lots of endurance training, I think that, that's, that's the training that you need for it. You don't need to do 18-hour days. No. You don't need to practice, you know, bivvying and being able to pack up your bivvy in three minutes and things like that. Um, it was actually quite relaxed in terms of we weren't in a rush anywhere. Yeah. Well, you are supposed to be on holiday, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's not exactly. too many people that we've spoken to that agreed with us that that's what they'd like to do for holiday, but... Speaking to the wrong people, that's why. Yeah. So for your next holiday, are you going to be going back to somewhere similar? Or are you going to be thinking Vegas for the complete opposite direction in holidayness? Take me to no, we're, we're going back to Kyrgyzstan because I cannot not do the Kegeti Pass. I have to go back and do the Kegeti Pass. So we're going to go back to Kyrgyzstan probably in May yeah. and do that. And then... Yeah, you're coming, Robbie. We're going to go. See, I, I would definitely be interested in that, actually. Like, I really would after seeing quite a few like people going out there recently. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would, I'd be up for that. But I definitely need to get some... Uh, maybe a decent sleeping bag and uh, maybe change my gear ratios because this, this is a kind of conversation me and Neil have that I always undergear myself heavily. And maybe, maybe write the letter to your mum in advance. Yeah, I'll probably <laughs> leave my mum a voicemail after I get off the plane and then go into the wilderness. 
Yeah, and and now obviously you'll have to write write a letter for uh, your wife to be as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. She would she would probably laugh at it and then rip it up and and just kind of like expect me to come through the door, knowing her. Like, or she would just be like, "Was it for me or was it for the dog?" That's the question she'll first ask. But like, it's because I Kegarty is one of those things from Silk Road Mountain Race, which is a bit of a an intimidating pass. You know, it's kind of it's high the weather's always uh always seems shit at the top of it but i guess having got the experience that you you got in tajikistan we went to kyrgyzstan um just before lockdown as well like the um, and we did well we got up to 2200 meters up kegeti pass yeah before we two years ago yeah yeah but that was more we, we were we only went for a weekend and there have been issues with we were supposed to stay closer to there and then we didn't and we got yeah there, there was sort of it what we didn't only we didn't get to there and have to turn around because it was too difficult yeah. but don't get me wrong it, it was but we were under time constraints and um, because we'd only gone for a weekend so i think we'd just give ourselves long enough to do it yeah this time yeah definitely yeah so we we won't be going for the weekend robbie we'll be going for a little bit longer than a weekend oh, okay okay yeah, no worries. It takes us a little bit longer to get to Kyrgyzstan from uh, from the UK. I have to say one thing, just um, just something that Neil mentioned earlier. It, it's incredible just listening to you, how, how much you do just normalise this. Like, oh yeah, you know, you, you're probably, you probably, you struggle to find food across it, but water's okay, you just have to use a special tablet to filter it. So there's no problem there, bottled water doesn't exist. That that's kind of, it kind of like for me that's a bit like I remember, you know, in Peru I was just like I won't drink anything unless it's bottled and I'm checking all the seals at the top of it and all this. And it, it you're right, like Neil's right, you normalise this, like it's day to day, then you're like, Oh, I'm just happy to have four walls around me. I'm I'm not I I'm personally I'm not really satisfied without like at least a 20 megabytes per second Wi-Fi connection. Yeah, like, I, I want some form of room service. <laughs> no, like, I guess, like, uh, yeah, it's quite strange to, to have someone talking about just having four walls and just, you know, like, a shower that's warm is, is you know, like, a, a privilege. But I guess doing that kind of trip, it grinds, not grinds you down, but it really simplifies things to, to such a point where the little things actually become such a big luxury so I can imagine when you kind of came home and you know you're walking around you know your apartment your flat your house and you're sitting there thinking wow you know it's a light switch it's incredible you know yeah I, I mean I don't get me wrong I couldn't wait to get home to the memory foam mattress after sleeping <laughs> on, a, on a mat but I came home and thought god we've got a lot of crap in this house we really need to sell some stuff yeah, we could live, we could simplify. We could. I, I think I think that's another thing that we've, we've managed to crack, going out to, to, to Tajikistan and being fine with it, but also living here and also being fine with this life. Yeah, if that makes sense. It's, I mean, it's that, that's kind of like one of the most extreme differences you could imagine, isn't it? Going from like this mountain pass in Tajikistan with a axe murderer walking 80k to being in like dubai mall yeah i know the, you couldn't you couldn't get any more different but i think there's something about when you're out there that nothing else really matters you're just there and you yeah. don't have there's something about being like 
being out of touch and being out of coverage and just not having other things going on. I think, like, for me anyway, when when I'm at home, there's, there's lots to think about. You know, we both work full time. We both have busy jobs. So there's always something else to be done or there's always something to get ready or... You know, there's lots else going on, whereas actually when you are out there, you are simplifying life and you're simplifying what you need to think about. Do you know what it is? Do you know what I've just realised what it is? Feeling at home, it's not where you are, it's who you're with. And I think it's Ruth that actually makes wherever I am just feel like at home. Yeah, I think our, I think our dynamic and our relationship helps a lot that we can go out there and not, not worry because I think we know that we can tackle stuff as a team. Yeah. Um, and we do things well as a team, so I think that that does have a big Oh, isn't that impact. sweet? I was being sweet then as well. Did you hear that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> so sweet and lovely. Oh, I, do you know what? I am At this point, I am going to say, you two wouldn't have met if it wasn't for me. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right into a relationship with Neil Copeland. Neil <laughs> Copeland's date... I, I, I sent Neil a message, and I'm sure that the dating service, the name I give him was more obscene, but I can't remember what it was. Which is annoying. Yeah, we the first time we met was at Jebel Jace in the which is the highest uh, mountain in the UAE. Do you know what that photo of Kerry at the top of Jebel Jace popped up on my Facebook feed the other day? Yeah, that I was, was such a skinny legend then. I really was. That was just over just over four years ago. Four years ago at the end of August. That was when you first met, and then two months later, Laura and I had this com. No, three months later, Laura and I had this conversation. Say, I swear those two are dating. Yeah, me too. I think they are. They weren't. And you two didn't even know it. At the time. But they apparently thought we were oh, dating yeah. before you, we were. Sorry, you knew before us, did, didn't you? Yeah. yeah, I turned up to Neil's house. I was like, Neil, I've got something to tell you. Um, you're going to see a lot more of me and Ruth riding together because we're going out now. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Laura, Laura and I have known for like two months. And, we and like, he's like, can I, can I call Laura and tell her? And we were like, there's no way Neil's noticed. Like, it's perfectly normal that I might have picked you up on the way to Jebel Hafi. You are on my way. There's no way. Like, Neil wouldn't notice stuff like that. I know. And when we I, think now that it was obvious. Yes. I think you were quite pissed off that I knew. I think you were like, how could he have... How did he, how did he know before us? I was surprised everybody guessed because I was straight... Hashtag straight. Yeah. Before then, or maybe not. I feel like this is one of these situations where Neil's going to be like, I could tell by your riding data, you know, and then he'll never tell how, but he'll be like, I saw your riding data. Like it's it's when like he looks at my training peaks, and he's like, I see training's going well, but what happened on a uh, Thursday the seventeenth of September two thousand and seventeen, mate? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, I can oh, tell you yeah. were having a gossip that day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, like. Did you come across someone on mile 17.4, maybe? Or kilometres, because this is Neil. Um, yeah, but no, that, that's, uh, that's crazy. That's crazy. So, Neil, come on, how did, how did you know? Oh, it was obvious. It was really obvious. Yeah? Like, you could just tell that there were these kind of these uh, lots of early morning meetings going on to go cycling together and... There really weren't. Yeah, there were. And there was just, yeah. Uh, look, Laura, Laura figured it out as well. Like we both separately said, I'm sure. I'm sure they're getting it, getting it together. So are I mean, you are you a cycling coach or a life coach now? Which, which where, where you at? Oh, it's a life coach. It's it's an all encompassing life thing. <laughs> it probably yeah. is a life coach. I feel like we all come to Neil for some sort of counselling. Yeah, it's about better life outcomes, to be honest. Like going to Tajikistan to 
reinforce your relationship. <laughs> I know, yeah. I don't think Bryony would be up for this. I think, Are you sure? I think she would leave me if I said, let's go to Tajikistan. I think she'd be like, I'm not. She would if this. you called it to Tajikistan because you might find <laughs> yeah. some dodgy goings on in the bedroom. Was, yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not in the bedroom, I mean, behind, behind a bush by the river. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. yeah. We know a good well, spot. You mentioned it, me and Bryony were out there. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's really nice that like you can do those things uh together you know it, it's interesting with obviously from my side of things i've never really you know ever gone you know bike packing or anything like that you know with a partner and it i, I never really thought about that that dynamic of having the security within each other but also kind of sharing roles uh, amongst the trip and not really needing anything bar each other. That That's actually, I know, you know, we're saying that's really cute and stuff like that, but actually that's just very resourceful and just what what a lovely thing in your relationship to, you know, rely on each other in the absolute middle of nowhere, you know, where you haven't really got any, any luxuries, you find it in each other, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I did say when we come back, when we got back and we got back into our luxurious villa, even though it's not, I'm lying. But I was like, you know what, Ruth? I really miss having a crap next to you. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you, know, you, you need to tell them that story. Which oh. was when we stayed in Alicia. <laughs> yeah, we stayed in the uh, the Al- the guest house in Alicia. So the toilet was obviously outside. So we went outside to the toilet. And it's just like one of the, it's a, con- it's a concrete building with a drop inside it. Um, a drop squat, whatever you want yeah. to call it. So in the morning after we both had our coffee, I was like, come on, let's hold hands and go to the toilet together. Because there was, was two, two drops. Oh, presumably with like no no kind of screening between the two drops. Oh no, drops literally right other. next to each other. But I've been plotting the demise of Ruth all morning because I take longer on the toilet than she does. So when she <laughs> finished, she had to wait for me because she can't open the door and be like, okay, I'm leaving now. Because it's like in the middle of the village. Yeah. So basically, it was like some strange variation on a Dutch oven. Yes. Yes, Yes, it was. It was like a level up from a Dutch oven. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A double Dutch oven. I don't know. You cannot leave here until I finish shitting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I I fell right into the trap. Yes. Well, more fool you. I I don't think... I don't think Laura's going to fall for that one. No, probably not. I wouldn't say so. I mean, we are we are absolute scruffs. Yeah. I don't think she'll make it this far in the episode. I think she'll have turned off long ago. (laughs) (laughs) I'm lucky to get Bryony reading the blurb of anything I do. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, I I swear she doesn't even follow me on social media. That's how that's how deep she goes into my cycling. (laughs) Credit to you guys. But I quite like that. I like that. But um, yeah, I must admit, credit to you guys. That's that, that, what an awesome, awesome experience of just going away to such a cool place. Yeah, it yeah, it really. Was. So what's yeah. what's the like? Because I think this is like you two are, uh, are, are really inspirational in terms of what you're doing here, and it, it just shows how not easy it can be because it's not easy, but how you don't need to be afraid of it. Um, and I, I think people, especially women, can feel like, oh well, I can't go and do that. Um, but you've shown that you can go and do that and actually there's no barriers to doing it 
Um, what's the one bit of advice you'd give somebody who thinks, do you know what, I really like the sound of that? Um, bring your own toilet paper because the stuff you buy out there is not very quality. <laughs> <laughs> There we are looking for this kind of really inspirational insight and basically it's bring it bring your own toilet paper. That's how inspirational she is. She goes deep, she goes quite deep. One of the photos we're gonna share is Ruth's innovative use of her tail fin where she attached two rolls of toilet paper to the to the struts. That was genius. I w- what I will say is that all these these wacky are weird places, they're a lot more accessible than people think. And you just have to just research because the the internet is a wild and wonderful place. And generally wherever you want to go, somebody's done a YouTube video on it, or there's a blog on it, or you can speak to somebody that knows about it, or you can go on Google Earth. Like we went on Google Earth and looked at streets. It's just yeah. research and don't don't be and it's easy to say don't be afraid. It's but I think all, but doing all of those things make you less afraid. Like be, I was afraid yeah. when you first suggested it, but you knew how to guide me to get me to a point where I wasn't afraid of it anymore, and that was what it was. We watched like endless YouTube videos to the point that at certain points along the route, I was like, oh, that's where that guy did that thing on his video, or you know, or whatever else. But it was nice to to just to recognize some of the places that we were in because we had seen them on videos we had seen people write about it um, and the majority of people that we everybody that we saw wrote or like did made a positive video about it and said that they had an amazing experience and that the people were fantastic and that they loved it so I think and a lot of the things that you worry about now in your day-to-day life you're probably not going to worry about when you're actually doing the trip yeah I think that's trips like that that's the one thing that it 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 does for me i forget about everything else i'm just yeah like the only thing we worry about is when are we going to eat next and it's not we don't have enough food it's like well we only stopped an hour ago can we stop again so soon (laughs) yeah i'm guessing you two were like the hobbits in the lord of the rings no we weren't eating that much though breakfast second breakfast elevenses first lunch second lunch Afternoon tea. We weren't too bad, actually, were we? No, we weren't. I, I, I will say, after the trip, I didn't want to see a boiled egg again. <laughs> like, I, I just... We like, stayed at the Pamia Hotel, and it was, like, fried egg and chips. That all, that's all they had. And I was like, I can't. Oh, greasy chips. Because everything, everything else was meat, and we're both vegetarians. So the only sort of vegetarian option were, yeah, fried egg and chips. And we just had that for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, choco pies. Oh, choco pies. They're, they're, choco pies are good fuel. I'd have a choco pie now if you put it in front of me. Yeah, totes. Yeah. Can you not get them in Dubai? Oh, yeah, you can actually. I think you can get them in Carrefour. I bet you can. But no, it's a slippery slope. Oh, we had choco pies. We had orange choco pies. We and did. Ruth turned up with a whole bag of different flavours. It was great. Yeah. yeah, when we got back to the Shambi, we were like, wow. There's a whole, like, there's a whole array here. There's a choco pie world that I never knew existed. I know. I'm sorry, I'm just Googling what this is. I've never heard of a choco pie. It's like a tea cake, right? Yeah. I'm going to order some. Amazon. Can you? No way. I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to see if I can order 
choco pies just out of this experience i feel like it's something that i need to yeah you won't go back you definitely won't go back it's biscuit and it's marshmallow is it marshmallow or something like that and chocolate covering in chocolate oh so it's like a what were they called snowball don't you get them in scotland not tunnock's tea cakes they're something different aren't they or is it that snowball is it a snowball i think it's an alcoholic drink no yeah we had them everywhere but yeah, I think just familiarise yourself with what you're doing and it makes it a lot less um, a lot less daunting. It does help when when the person that you're going with, you've, you've got that kind of relationship with. Or talk to people that will support you because sometimes you can say, oh, I'm going to Tajikistan and somebody will be like, oh, you're going there for? It's, you know, it's near Afghanistan. Everybody's going to die because you're near Afghanistan. But if you speak to people that will support your ideas, I think it's probably best. Actually, while well, we're on the subject of kind of like choco pies, just quickly, I've just Amazoned it. And you can get them on Amazon. So, Neil, I think we should order some. But I'm looking at some of the boxes and they all have very happy quotes written on them. I think this might have helped. Like one says, happy promise on the box. Uh, one says, happy moments. I, I like the sound of a happy promise. Yeah. <laughs> And, happy promise in Tajikistan. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it says also here, choco pie. It's fluffy. You know what I mean? I, I like this. The, you know, the Korean snacks. I, I think this could be a thing from now so on. So are we? You know? are you gonna are you gonna order a few boxes? So the next episode we do we we record, we're gonna be tasting choco pies and giving yeah. our. I can't wait for that ASMR video. That'll be great. You two chewing down the mic. Choco pie. Um, uh, it's a pudding. That that makes sense. I like this. You know, this 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 could work. This could work. Yeah. So I'm actually gonna order. I'm gonna order twelve. But it's six pound forty eight for twelve. I'll go with that. That that doesn't seem too bad. Oh, cheap That's and cheerful, them aren't they? Yeah. You can get um, some when you go home and bring them back. We can get some here. I know. We shouldn't though. No. Yeah. Right, oh, Robbie. Get some ordered. Get some sent through. I'll send you my address, and we're gonna we're gonna do a taste test. They do a green tea flavour. Oh, oh, that sounds disgusting. That sounds <laughs> yeah, void of happiness. Oh. There's no happy promise in that, is there? No, no. definitely not. <laughs> All right. Well, look. Awesome. How do right? You talked about getting information and seeing what people have done before. How do people follow you? Where can they see your stories from the trip? Instagram two wheel travellers. We are on Instagram two wheel travellers. Posting irregularly. Although it's it's getting to winter here now, so we can start going out and not nobody really wants to see us going up and down the track every day. No, but I am looking forward to seeing what exciting gravel rides you find this winter. <laughs> oh yeah, we, I've got a few things planned. I haven't told Ruth all of them yet, but yeah, Kerry's the kind of the some of the best and mo- most exciting but equally scary words you can hear from Kerry is I've got a plan or I've got an idea. As Neil knows, I've been there, I've done it, bought the t-shirt. It's it's the yes, both scary and exciting at the same time. It's like, what what has she come up with this time? What am I going to rope myself in for? <laughs> but there's never been one yet that I've regretted. So I think, yeah, I'm happy for her to do the planning and. You're looking forward to winter. It is cooling down here, so it's not going to be too long till we can get out and do some graveling and some overnight trips. Awesome. Actually, we've been asked to do... Um, I don't know if anybody would be interested, but we've been asked to do an introduction to bikepacking. 
Um, just a very low key, inviting any women that want to come with us and just. I think it's an awesome idea. I think you girls have got the experience of it now. Uh, you've got the skills and you've got the the enthusiasm the for it. The ch- well, mm, let's not push the boat out too far. I mean, you know. You've got the Yorkshire charm. Yeah. I I think it's a I absolutely you, should, you definitely do it. There's it's uh, it is great to see how you how you've done this and if you can just get a few other girls going out and doing the same thing then it's a result but yeah definitely yeah there's there's loads of routes in riding around here in the uae and i think a lot of it is uh there are definitely lots of people out there who want to explore but they don't know where to go or they don't know where to start so sometimes just having somebody to show you a route the first time around and then you see how accessible it is because nowhere is that remote in the uae um and then it just becomes very normalized and people can go and do it again and spread the word and they can take somebody else out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then it grows. There we go. So if any of you ladies in the UAE want to get out and learn, learn to do some bikepacking and some graveling, then you couldn't be in two better hands than these two. Well, there's four, there's four, hands, four hands, hands, actually. Yeah, you know what I mean. Four hands, whatever. Two better people. Can I just mention... In the coaching group, this is the best thing ever. Like so, the, Neil, we there's a, we're all in this big WhatsApp group basically, and you know Neil can pretty much say like, right guys, the the you know the sky is green today, you know, and everyone will be like, yeah yeah yeah, the the sky is the sky is green, and then you know you two are always the one biting back at him, <laughs> always instantly biting back saying just ripping into him saying something funny and i love it it is comedy gold we've got to keep him humble you see robbie that's the thing you do you do and it's so nice to have have a couple of people in place just as like neil's security guards keeping him keeping him humble keeping him grounded and uh, if there's one thing if there's one reason to join neil's coaching plan it's purely just to be part of that group and just to witness the cheeky little messages from you two come through giving the odd little jab at him. <laughs> it's, yeah, I do wonder sometimes what newer members of the group think because we go, like, our relationship with Neil goes back a long way and it's more than just a coach and athlete relationship at this stage. Like, Neil is one of our close friends. But there are newer people on there who are only still getting to know Neil, who don't necessarily know other people on the group that well. And sort of at the beginning, I did wonder, God, what, what, does, what do these people all think of us? But... I mean, I don't, really don't, I don't think anymore, no. <laughs> no, and you definitely don't hold back with uh, with insulting me now and again. But it's all good. Um, cool. Right, so two-wheeled travellers, two-wheeled underscore travellers, two underscore wheeled travellers. Shouldn't that be four wheels? Shouldn't it be four-wheeled travellers? Because there's four wheels, like there's four um, wheels. No, we travel via two wheels. So actually, we are wheeled travellers. We are travellers that travel on two wheels. Right, so go give them a follow on Instagram. They do have some amazing photos up there. There's definitely some really cool shots from Tajikistan. We will get some of those photos and put them into the podcast. And you know what? It's um, seeing where you've got to, like since we've met four years ago seeing what you do now i think it's it's just an insane journey that you've both been on and it's been so much fun to watch and i i just can't wait to see where you go next this is where they really surprise you and be like neil we're gonna go somewhere proper crazy next mallorca 
no. Oh god, no. I think there's nothing wrong with Mallorca, but there's too many people there. We want to make the most of living over this side of the world while we're still here. We're not going to be here forever. Um, so, yeah. I mean, places like Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan are three-hour flights from Dubai. Um, and they're as cheap as getting a Ryanair flight from Gatwick to Mallorca. So we want to make the most of, of this side of the world while we're still here. Mm-hmm. Mongolia. Mongolia, yeah, that'd be interesting. Right, well, there we go. Robbie, clearly we need to uh, we need to do a little kind of winter. Now, I know it can't be winter, can it? Because you wouldn't want to go to Kyrgyzstan in the winter. We need to go kind of early May, a couple of weeks in Dubai training, and then and then we'll go to Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, sounds good. Agreed. Definitely, definitely. Cool. Now, thank you so much, guys. It's been, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. It's been awesome to talk to you. Um, amazing to hear your stories. And, um, yeah, like I said, I can't wait for the next adventure that you go on. Me too. Yep. Cool. Right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it wasn't too uh, long and rambling. Um, and uh, we may have to put the uh, explicit content flag on this one for some of Robbie, their stories. Neil and Robbie after dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uncut. <laughs> Uncut, yes. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you liked it. Uh, leave comments. Uh, go and... Go and follow uh, Kerry and Ruth on Two Wheel Travellers. And um, yeah, uh, hopefully that's inspired you to get out there and go somewhere crazy on your next uh, cycling adventure. I thought Robbie was going to say goodbye there. (laughs) Bye. Okay, let let me jump in then. Okay, so... (laughs) Yeah, um, bye. Don't don't forget to follow, like, you know, Neil Robbie podcast, neilrobbie.com. And uh, yeah, yeah, we will we will catch up soon. In a couple of weeks, we'll drop another podcast out. And uh, yeah, look forward to hearing you. Leave some comments. And yeah, again, don't don't forget to, to follow Two Wheel Travellers on Instagram. You know, if you like bikes, you like gravel and you enjoy today, you definitely have to keep up with them. Cool. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. And well, well, well we're, I'm sure we're going to end up catching up in Neil's Neil's WhatsApp group now. This is going to be mega. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. So thank you. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks. Peace out. Bye. Bye. Bye.